And all of God's people said, do it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you. Well, before I get to the message, you've heard about critical race theory, cancel culture, and all that stuff. I pulled no punctures in this book. It doesn't come out till March 2nd, but it's in the back. They told me they arrived here in the store in the media center this weekend. And I say this because some of you might not, might be visitors and don't know this. This book does not belong to me. It belongs to Leading the Way. Thirty-one and a half, almost 32 years ago when Leading the Way started, I made a decision, told the board at the time, that I would receive not a red cent would stick to my hand from Leading the Way because I did not want 30 years from now, which is now, Somebody says he started a media minister to enrich himself. It's my labor of love. All that I do for leading the way, uh, books, everything is my labor of love. And that is why we don't sell books. While this is hardback and all that, we don't sell books. It's a gift of any amount. If you have a high school or a college student, it's a must. If you have to bribe them, pay them to read it, <laughs> do it. I give you permission. <laughs> because it will encourage them to understand what they're facing in schools and in colleges, and all the false departure from the truth as we know it. What the crisis is, this is called hope for this present crisis. The crisis is not the pandemic. The crisis is a crisis of truth, and that's what we're facing now. But thank God it's hope for this present crisis, because the last chapter, I have seven steps for families and for church and for believers in general, seven steps to take in order to overcome this present crisis. So I hope you'll get it and get your young persons to read it. You know, throughout history, there were people who have sought to predict precisely when the last day is and when the return of the Lord is going to be. Precisely. I mean, with, to the date. Others, of course, as we're facing today more than ever, the deniers, those who are not only deny the coming of Christ, they said, oh, for 2,000 years, people saying Christ is coming, He's not going to come. And even some people teaching that from pulpits. But even in my lifetime, just my lifetime, and like most of you, uh, I've encountered people who thought they knew exactly what day the Lord is returning and the world coming to an end. Uh, this is amazing to me because even the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said, no one knows the hour except the Father. <laughs> but nonetheless, that did not stop them from trying. I will never forget in 1987. Now, that 87 is when this church started, okay? And we have just been going for a few months, and we've been growing, and, but we wouldn't have had even 400 people in the church when we were meeting at the Lovett School Chapel. When this dear lady came, and she thrust a book in my hand, and she said, if you're a faithful minister, you need to preach through this book to your congregation. Now, I've never seen her before. I did not know her and I took the book from her hand. I said, I'll read it. 
And sure enough, I did read it. And the title of the book is 88 Reasons Why Christ is Returning in September 1988. Now, I knew that I'm going to turn 40 that year. <laughs> so I thought, well, the Lord is coming back on my birthday. I might be going to… No, but it had nothing to do with my birthday. It had nothing to do with my 40th birthday. Remember, this was at the end of 87, and, and so I read the book, and it was a runaway bestseller, by the way. It sold millions. And uh, she came to see me a few couple of weeks later. She said, did you read the book? I said, yes, ma'am, I did read it. And she said, are you going to preach through it? I said, yes, ma'am, I will. She said, when? I said, October. <laughs> she became so upset. She said, it'll be too late, and disappeared. I've never seen her before. And by the way, that wasn't because of my 40th birthday, September 88, but it was because of Rosh Hashanah, that he's going to come back on the day of Rosh Hashanah, that is the Jewish New Year. Well, that is one thing. And you would think after that people just would learn the lesson, because what happened with this guy is that he said he made miscalculation. He just miscalculated. But it's going to be September of 89. By that time, he lost total credibility. Fast forward a few years later, another bestseller, runaway bestseller, predicted the rapture will take place in 1994. Then fast forward again, 2010. <laughs> Some, most of you were alive in 2010. A radio evangelist, a big radio ministry by the name of Harold Camping. I know some of you remember that. His book grabbed the headlines, not just in the United States. I encountered it in Asia, in Australia, in the Middle East, wherever I traveled. It, I've encountered people talking about this May 21, 2011. Exactly. I mean, precise date, 21 May 2011, the Lord is coming back. Back then, I used to write a weekly blog. I don't do that anymore. I got into trouble because I took everybody on, and, and you know, uh, uh, not that I was shy about it, but I just, I don't do it anymore. I, I was writing a blog, and many newspapers would pick it up and reprint it as an editorial uh, 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 op-ed. And so, what I did at that time, I wrote an open letter to evangelist Harold Egbert Camping. I wrote him an open letter. I said, dear brother, uh, I will not mock you like some people are doing. Uh, I'm not going to even question your judgment at all. Um, be free to make predictions as you want. I'm only making one request. It's reputedly that you have $31 million worth of equipment for your ministry and assets. I said, will you please donate, the, donate those to leading the way? <laughs> come 2011, this was 2010, I said, come 2011, you will not, not need them. 
Now, I can give you a tax-deductible receipt, but you won't need that either. <laughs> In a press conference, he said, oh, people are after my stuff. I'm not going to give it to them. <laughs> But to my surprise, a bunch of newspapers around the country republished that letter. At least Harold Camping repented of his sin, and he confessed it publicly, how sinful it was of him to do that. And he said he'll never do it again. He died 2014. But, beloved, I want to tell you, more dangerous than that, that is dangerous enough, but more dangerous than that are the so many church leaders today who are now denying the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ altogether. Beloved, listen to me. Both deniers and sensationalizers, I just made up a word, <laughs> both are in error. Both are wrong. And that is why it is of uttermost importance for all of us to hear from the lips of our Savior, from the source, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, about this issue. And He tells us how we should live in the light of that great hope that we have, the certainty of His return. So, this is the passage for today. If you turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 12 beginning at verse 35 all the way to 48. Now, for those of you who are visiting, we have begun a series of messages, both Jonathan at 9 o'clock and I'm here at 10.30 from the same text, same passages that we're going to be preaching throughout this um, uh, spring and summer. It's from the Gospel of Luke, and beginning from chapter 12, we're called Enduring Wisdom. Enduring Wisdom comes out of the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And we looked at the last two messages. I hope if you weren't here, you can download them. This is 1235 to 48. In the Pew Bible, page 1618, if you don't have your own Bible. And then, as we have been doing throughout the series, we're going to have them on the screen. I'm going to ask you, in honor of the Word of God, to stand up. And I'm going to read the first verse. And then I'm going to ask you to read the rest so that it can seep down in our hearts. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Go.
Lord, there is no one, as the Apostle Paul said, who can truly comprehend all the incredible wisdom and knowledge from your Word, but the Holy Spirit who authored these words can. And so we ask Him to take your words, Lord Jesus, and apply them to our hearts, for we pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, the Bible from cover to cover makes it absolutely clear that history is going to come to an end one day, that Jesus is coming back to take his children home and to punish the wicked, that the second coming of Jesus will end the world as we know it, that just as the first coming of Jesus, the Christ, it was a historic event. So will the second coming going to be a historic event. The doctrine of the second coming of Christ is a vital, important part of the gospel. Every detail in the Bible regarding the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled with the minutest details and the most meticulous precision. Just like the first coming of the Lord fulfilled all the prophetic pronouncement about His first coming that we see in the Old Testament, so will the second coming will fulfill all the prophetic pronouncement. Therefore, anyone who denies or obscure or misinterprets or abandons the truth of the second coming of Christ will be severely judged, as you just saw in this passage. At the end of the book of God, the Word of God, the Bible, the very last book in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, the apostle John said, I testify to everyone who hears the words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his part in the tree of life and from the holy city which, is, which are written in this book. Now, I'm here to declare to you publicly that I am absolutely, absolutely coward. Yeah, you heard me right. I am absolutely coward to add to the Word of God will take away from the Word of God. Beloved, listen to me. Most of you know that Christians are divided on the minute details about the second coming of Christ. I think if you read anything, you would, you would know that. If you've been in different churches, you would know that. They're divided over, you know, the rapture or the thousand-year reign or the tribulation. Is, is it the mid, is it past, is post, is present, is pre, all of that, all of that. And I'll tell you, I have studied all these different positions, uh, because they're held by some people I love and respect. They're people who love God and love the Word of God, every one of them. But I came to my own solid conclusion. I believe that's of the Lord and, and a conviction from the Word of God. My own conclusion is this. I must live 
every day in a state of readiness. Whether I go to him first or he comes back to take me home first, I'm a happy camper either way. I have, and I tell the Lord this literally every day, I have my spiritual bags packed and ready. <laughs> he can call me home anytime or he can come back anytime. I will not waste my time. I will not waste my life arguing and debating the finer points about the return of Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. If Jesus comes this moment, the next moment, I'm going to still be preaching the sermon. I'll finish it. I'm not going to go up on the steeple and look for it. I'm going to be right here preaching, finishing the sermon. If he does not come for many years to come, great, because that gives me more opportunity to tell more people about Christ so they can come and believe in him. Please hear me right. I think in this passage here, the Lord Jesus Christ is far more concerned about those who will get so bogged down with this life that they will totally forget about his second coming. Let's look at the passage together again. Look at verse 35. Be dressed and ready and keep your lamps lit. Now, in the original language, it doesn't, this is more of an interpretation really than even translation. Because in the literal translation, it says, let your loins, geared your loins. Well, that language comes from the time of Jesus when men and women wore flowing robes, long kaftans or whatever. And, 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 and they are wonderful if you're sitting there and leisurely kind of having a conversation. But they're not very good when you are doing some manual work or in the battlefield. <laughs> they're going to get in the way. They're going to trip you, and, and you're going to fall and stumble all over the place. So what he's saying literally is you take these up and you tuck them into your belt. He tucked them into the sash, and so that you are free to move and, and not be hampered. He is taking this image and applies it to the mind. You see, our mind, visualize this with me, it's like a free-flowing robe. <laughs> they, are, they get all over the place, right? We get all sorts of distractions, a lot of things that can trip us up in our walk and in anticipation of the coming of Christ. <laughs> Listen, you've heard me say this. I've always been an ADD. I'm still an ADD. Thank God they did not discover Ridland back then. <laughs> it would have slowed me down. <laughs> I used to get punished because I, you're not concentrating because my mind was all over the place because that's just part of what the ADD is all about. And, and that's fine. And, uh, and so, what I need to do is to tuck in these flowing robes in my head, <laughs> all these distracting thoughts that go through my head. Uh, I need to put these distractions away. I, I need to get some spiritual riddling into my head. And the psalmist says, unite my heart, unite my mind, unite my mind, so keep it from distraction of the fear of you or the worship of you. Now, whether <clears throat> things that are trying to weigh me down in terms of, weigh us down in terms of our circumstances or issues of life. <laughs> we need to be tucked them away 
so that we keep our focus on the coming of Christ. We keep our focus on that great day. Let everything you do, let every decision you make, let every lifestyle choice be motivated with that day in mind. Keep, also it said, keep your lamp lit. Verse, still same verse, 35. Again, this language comes from the time of Jesus, where they would have uh, lamps or candles or torches where they lit up and be able to go around in the dark and see where they're going. That's what the purpose of the lamp is. And this is a figure of speech for knowledge. Knowledge. But it's not enough to have just head knowledge. That's not what he's talking about. You need to be watchful of where you're heading, where you're walking, how you're living, where you're going. Make sure that your knowledge of the coming of Christ motivates your life, keeps you in a state of watchfulness, keeps you in a state of preparedness, that you're not going to be surprised when He comes. In Matthew 25, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us a parable of ten bridesmaids. Five had oil in their lamps, and as soon as the bridegroom came, they were ready. The others were not. First, our minds should not be distracted. Secondly, our lamps should have oil and rim and lit up. Thirdly, verses 36 to 38, you are to be a faithful servant. What are the descriptions of a faithful servant? The Lord Jesus Christ Himself tells us here. And the reason he uses the imagery of a Jewish wedding, because a Jewish wedding, not like ours, you know, here you come at 6 o'clock and the reception is 7 till 9 or whatever. Now, a Jewish wedding just went on and on and on, days. They never knew when it starts and they never knew when it's finished. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's the image here. They understood that. And so they're always ready. Whenever the bridegroom comes, they're ready to go on and have a party, Right? That uncertainty was not going to put off a faithful servant. He's going to be dressed and ready with his lamp ready. No matter what time of night the master shows up, the faithful servant not only dressed and ready and lamp lit, <laughs> but he's ready to go. You know, in my previous life before this church, I traveled overseas a great deal. Sometimes I felt it was just a bit too much. And I would literally jam my, my travel, and I would go around the world. I'd make seven country stops and try to be home within 10 days. I don't want to stay away from home more than 10 days. But the greatest joy is when I come home and my family expecting me. And, 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 and the joy that they have for my arrival, it's indescribable. And that kind of a similar image here, verse 38, it would be good for those servants whose master found them ready. <laughs> they're not just dressed, and they're not just have the lamps um, uh, uh, lit, but they're ready. 
And it doesn't matter what time, whether it is the second watch or the third watch. What is that? The second watch was from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. The third watch was from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. <laughs> what do you call that? The, 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 gra- the, 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 the graveyard shift. This tells us that this, there is a special blessing on its own that is reserved for those who are waiting for the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Those who are ready are neither the ones who put on the white robes and head for the mountains, setting dates, nor the ones who are so bogged down in this life and the affairs of this life and the circumstances of this life that they have not thought of the return of Christ. Neither of them. Neither of them. You know, talking about getting distracted. With the affairs of this life and your attention is all over the place. I remember a story, a dear friend of mine told me this story many, many years ago. I have never forgotten it. It's about this country preacher, a small country church, and uh, they have the front pew is what we call the amen corner, where the deacons sat there, and they're amening the pastor. Not like what I'm trying to get out of you. <laughs> they will do it automatically. I remember Dr. Evie Hill, wonderful preacher of the Word of God, said to me, he said, Michael, he said, you're preaching to a white congregation. You need to tell them where amen belongs. <laughs> he said, in our African, uh, congre- African-American congregations, they know where amen belongs. But you need to tell them where it is. That's why I've, I've learned. That's how I do it for 35 years. Tell you where amen belongs. <laughs> learned that from Dr. Hill. But this true, God bless you. <laughs> You're going to get a special blessing. But <laughs> this, this, this church, and the pastor was preaching on the Day of Judgment. And the deacon sitting in the front pew, amening everything he says. But he was saying, he said, that day is going to be a dark day. He said, it's going to be so dark. Wake up in the morning, and it's so dark. And one of the deacons said, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. And then he says, continued. He said, we're going to pick up the phone, and we're going to call Hong Kong. And they're going to say, oh, it's dark over here. It's very dark over here. Another one yelled out, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. And then we're going to pick up the phone, and we're going to call Tokyo, Japan. And they're going to say, oh, it's very dark here. It's very dark here. And the other deacon says, deliver us, Lord. Deliver us, Lord. And we're going to pick up the phone, and we're going to call Paris, France. And they're going to say, oh, it's very dark here. It's very dark here. And, and another deacon said, Lord, have mercy. And then we're going to pick up the phone, and we're going to call Moscow. And they're going to say, it's very dark over here. Well, up to this moment, the treasurer was sitting there just like where Richard is. <laughs> I love Richard. He was just sitting there, the treasurer, not saying a word. But when he got to Moscow, he said, Oh, Lord, 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 what a telephone bill is going to be. <laughs> we thank God for Richard. He keeps us straight and honest. All he's worried about is the phone bill. <laughs> he was like, he got distracted. He not focused on the day of judgment, the return of the Lord. He had gone distracted. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be dressed and ready.
mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way. Then our lamp is lit, constantly witnessing the light of Christ. Awake, not asleep. And fourthly, the owner of the house is constantly alert. Look at verses 39 and 40. You know, in the Middle East, back then and even now, most break-ins do not happen in the daytime. Because now in our culture, you know, most people are out in the daytime. Now, over there, somebody's in the house. So the robbers don't come in the daytime. They only come at night when everybody's asleep. And they come in and out and take whatever they came in to take and then run. And that is why Jesus said about his return, to some people is going to be like a thief in the night. Totally unaware. They did not have a clue. They're not thinking about it. They did not know that sometime during their sleep, he's going to sneak in. If the owner of the house knew exactly what time or what hour the thief is coming, he would be up all night and ready to defend his family, ready to defend his possessions. And that is why often the man of the house kind of hardly slept. And when the Bible talks about the shepherd, you know, the good shepherd, actually, to this day, he will sleep with one eye closed, one eye is open, because he wants to defend the sheep. Uh, listen, listen very, very carefully to me. Robbers do not send you a postcard and say to you, on such and such night, we're going to be visiting in your neighborhood. Just, just want you to know, please place all your valuables in a place where I can get in and out and get them very quickly. No, no, no. That, 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 that does not happen. Thieves always silently, stealthily, undetected. The goal is to come on the inside and leave very quickly. Nobody notices. Ah, oh. but here's the good news. They're going to absolutely make you shout. And if it doesn't, something wrong with you. There's another imagery the Lord gives us in Matthew 24 and 25. Another imagery, and I'm going to explain the two for you in a minute. And it's going to make you rejoice. <laughs> and that is the imagery of an expectant mom who's experiencing labor pain. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Very important. Because there is a great deal of difference between the thief coming suddenly, totally unexpectedly, in the middle of the night, and an expectant mom experiencing labor pains is about to give birth. The thief is totally unexpected. The labor pains, <laughs> while they come suddenly, but they are certainly expected. Why? Because the expectant mom had months to think about it and plan for that happy event. And that is why I am absolutely convinced that to the non-believers or to the professing Christians, for those who are bogged down with this life and the affairs of this life, <laughs> those who have rejected biblical truth, the day of the Lord is going to be like a thief in the night. But for those who are waiting, those who are expecting, 
is going to be like labor pain. <laughs> well, I haven't got to the good part yet. <laughs> you see, the ones to whom it's going to be like a thief in the night, they, 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 they're totally oblivious. They may have thought about it, they heard about it, but they're just living in oblivion to that, to that particular event. They're busy with their life. Uh, they haven't given a thought about eternity. They haven't given a thought about where they're going to spend eternity. It's just not their focus. These people are too busy building their nest egg here on earth. They are too distracted by too many responsibilities. They are so concerned of what people think of them. They are so worried about this planet earth and ignore the fact that the Bible said even that it's not only going to burn down, but even the, the elements are, burn, are going to burn. They have places to go and people to see. They're busy. Ah. Uh, but those who love Jesus, those who are waiting for the return of Christ, those who live expectantly of the return of Christ, those who are prepared for the return of Christ, they are prepared mentally, they are prepared emotionally, they are prepared spiritually. To them, it is not going to be like a thief in the night, but it's like a pregnancy that culminates in labor pains and the happy moment of birth. Please, please hear me right. Hear me right, hear me right. Labor pains are expected as inevitable. Can I get an amen? amen? We do not know exactly where the labor, when the labor pains are going to begin, uh, but we're waiting for them. We're waiting for them. We know they're coming. We don't know when and how, but we know they're coming. And that is why a pregnant mother is described as expecting. Expecting. And we, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are living this life expecting. <laughs> but there's more. There's more. Labor pains, which are painful, and they're painful to experience, they announce the joyful deliverance. The thief in the night brings calamity and disaster, and that is why it's going to be a day of judgment for those who have rejected Christ, those who refuse to believe, those who profess Christians but never believe the doctrine of the second coming. But labor pains brings rejoicing and a new life, which we will experience. Not so the thief. Beloved, when the day of the Lord comes, it is my prayer, it is my prayer that you and you and you and you and you and you be ready, be expecting, be prepared. Not will be to you like a thief in the night, a day of judgment. Always be ready, dressed and ready. Always be prepared. Always serving and giving and and expectant of that day, always working with that day in mind. Beloved, I plead with you, don't let that day surprise you. 
don't let it surprise you. Why? Because there are consequences regarding the state of readiness. Look at them with me, please, verses 41 to 48. There is consequences for the state of readiness. You need it. Peter asked the question, verse 41, Lord, are you telling this parable to us, the twelve, or are you telling it to everybody else? Here's what I get so emotional when I read the Scripture, and I just see the wisdom of the Lord. Oh, incredible. I, I, I pray to God I'll never cease from being excited about seeing the wisdom of our Lord here. It's the wisdom that He did not answer His question directly, but indirectly He gives Him another parable. First, He said, the faithful believers who are ready for the return of Christ are going to be uniquely blessed. There is a blessing with the name written on it. So Paul, out of the five crowns in the Bible, out of the five crowns, he said there's one crown that is specifically dedicated and will be given to all those who love his appearing. Oh, but the unfaithful servants... Those who are not ready for the return of Christ, they will be judged. They will be judged. But that's not all. The unfaithful person who becomes an abuser, listen to me, we talk a lot about abuse, who becomes an abuser, abuser of both the divine stewardship, the divine trust that was placed in our hand, and abusing of human beings who are under their authority, misleading them and misguiding them, they will be judged more severely. You notice there's a, a degree of punishment. Listen, listen to me. God is not a communist. He's not going to deal the judgment exactly the same for everybody, nor is He going to deal the reward the same for every one of His faithful people. It's going to be a degrees of it. The unfaithful professing Christian who only want to please themselves, unfaithful professing Christians who are unfaithful stewards with their life, unfaithful professing Christians who live under the illusion they have plenty of time to get right with God, to do things for God before He returns, they're going to be in deep trouble. They're going to be in deep trouble, but somehow to a lesser degree than those of us who are in leadership. Why do you think I weep? When I hear that some of the great men of God who preach the gospel turn their back on the gospel, Apologize for preaching the gospel. It tears me up. In fact, Paul uses very similar imagery here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 all the way to 11. Paul said, the unprepared person is like living in a state of darkness, drunkenness, and sleep. 
are the three images he gives us here. Darkness, drunkenness, and sleep. All three of those leave us incapable of seeing, hearing, or responding to our surroundings. Beloved, the only cure for darkness is light, the light of Christ. The only cure for drunkenness is sobriety, and the only cure for sleep is being awake. Living in the light, living soberly, living awake, fully awake, describes the believer who lives in obedience to the Word of God. Don't miss verse 48. Don't miss verse 48. The degree of judgment upon the professing Christians who are unprepared is directly related to the degree of their knowledge of the truth. That is why it's heartbreaking when somebody had known the knowledge of the truth, and then they turned their back on it. And that is why James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that the judgment upon preachers and teachers and leaders is going to be far worse than just the average unfaithful Christian. I pray to God that we, everyone, every one of us, in a state of readiness. Let me tell you this as I conclude, and it's a story that I love to tell because it illustrates the foolishness of some. It's a story of a farmer in Illinois who wrote a letter to the editor on a local weekly newspaper refuting what he used to believe as a Christian and now backslidden. He wrote the letter, and the letter reads in part, he said, Sir, I have been trying to experiment. I have planted a field of corn, which I plowed on Sunday. I planted it on Sunday, and I did all my cultivating on Sunday. I gathered the crop on Sunday, and on Sunday I hold all my crops in the barns. And I find that I have more corn to the acre than what my other Christian fellow farmers had. To his credit, the publisher published the entire letter without deviation. But then there was an editorial line, just one line, because he said that I've done all the harvesting in October, and I've done this in October, this in October, and the editor said, God does not always settle His accounts in October. God does not always settle. So be patient. Be patient. When you see injustice, be patient. God does not always settle His accounts in October. The day is coming. The day is coming. The day is coming when God will settle His accounts. Let's live our lives being dressed and ready, lamps lit, staying awake, making all your decisions with that day in mind. Can I get an amen? amen. Pray with me, please. Father, 
you only, you're, the one, you're the only one who know the heart of everyone who's here, heart of everyone who's watching around the world, literally around the world, and many, many countries. You're the only one who know the heart. And if I have a request, Father, selfishly I ask you to keep me prepared, my family prepared, the body of Christ here, Church of the Apostles prepared, and then all your believing children be prepared, dressed, lamps lit, ready for that day to come, expectant of that day to come, not be surprised when that day come. And oh, by the way, Lord, make it quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen.